What makes the Bible the perfect manual for making disciples? In this episode, Carla will answer this question as well as others that will equip you to be prepared to influence others with the powerful truth of God's Word. I'm often asked what I consider to be the best curriculum or book to use for discipling someone. In talking through this question, I found that most people want to know if there is a reference that provides a planned sequence of instruction that's proven effective in discipleship. It's a great question, because even though we want to be sincere in relying on God's truth, there is a part of many of us that would like a manual that tells us where to start and stop in the process of making disciples. There are actually two issues that need to be settled here. One, is God's Word, the Bible, a complete manual for making disciples? And two, if so, how do we use it effectively? Consider for a moment how people use other manuals. Let's presume that you just bought a car and it came with a manual. The manual is fairly thick and a bit intimidating at first, but the previous owner of the car is very familiar with the manual and assures you that everything you need to know to effectively operate the car is in the manual. I believe we can agree that the best car manual is written by the creator of each car. The Bible isn't just the best manual, it's the perfect manual for living because it was written by our perfect, flawless Creator. Psalm 19, 7-10 says this, The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. They are more precious than much pure gold. Make no mistake, God's manual, unlike any other manual, is flawless and fully trustworthy. The Bible has lots of chapters, which at first glance can appear intimidating. But when you come to realize that the Bible includes everything we need for life and godliness, we learn to appreciate each word. 2 Peter 1, 3-4 says this, God's divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of Him, who called us by His own glory and goodness. Through these, He has given us His very great and precious promises, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Through study and application of God's Word, we grow in our relationship with Him. John 1 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word was God. That means that when we spend time in God's Word, we're spending time with Him. As you grow in your relationship with God, you will learn what pleases Him and how to best follow His directives. So I believe we've settled the first issue. Indeed, the Bible is the perfect manual for living a godly life in Christ Jesus. The second issue we need to settle is how do we use God's Word to effectively make disciples? Let's refer back to my car analogy. Remember, we're presuming that you purchased a car and the previous owner of the car assures you that everything you need to know to effectively operate the car is in the manual. So where would you start reading the manual? Well, if you didn't know anything about the car you purchased, you might start at the beginning. If you researched the car prior to buying it, then you may want to first look at those items that most pertain to your lifestyle or preferences. Let's say you want to know as much about the car as possible, so you begin reading from the first page of the manual. You read a little each day, and even read sometimes from the driver's seat of the car, so you can put into practice what the manual is teaching you. 
Yet less than a week into studying the manual, you have a flat tire and you can't figure out how to access the jack to change it. At that point, would you continue to read the manual in order? Of course not. You would quickly skip to the section that showed you where the jack is located and how to access it. Why? Because that's what you need for that particular moment. And until you learn that, other things won't matter to you. Are you seeing the parallels? God's manual is perfect instruction in living a godly life in Him. Although each person is a unique individual, the Bible is one size fits all. Its truth applies to every situation, circumstance, culture, gender, and personality. As we recognize the spiritual needs of each person we disciple, we'll meet them where they are and use specific truths from God's Word to encourage them to take the next step of obedience in their walk with Him. There's a story in the Bible that illustrates this point well. Let's first put the story in context. Chapter 8 of Acts tells us that Christ followers were experiencing persecution for their faith. As a result, they began scattering to neighboring towns. Acts 8, 4-5 says, Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. Notice that even though they experienced persecution, it was their habit, their way of life to proclaim the word of God wherever they went. If we want to make disciples, it will also be our lifestyle to proclaim the truth of Jesus wherever we go. These verses also tell us that a specific believer, Philip, began proclaiming the truth of Jesus in Samaria. Now drop down to Acts 8, 26-29. It says this, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Candake, which means Queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home was sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The Spirit told Philip, Go to that chariot and stay near it. You see, Philip was operating in the authority of Jesus with a heart surrendered to following his will. As a result, he recognized God's prompting. Did you notice that this opportunity with the Ethiopian presented itself while Philip was on his way? Philip didn't set out to specifically meet the Ethiopian. God gave Philip directions, knowing that while on that path, he would encounter a divine appointment with this man. God continues today to orchestrate opportunities for you and for me to share his love and truth with others. Now look with me at Acts 8, 30-31. It says, Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Let's consider the lessons in discipleship we can learn from these verses. Most importantly, we see that Philip was open to being used of God because he was immediately obedient to God's prompting. Then, Philip boldly engaged the Ethiopian in conversation. You know, Philip could have said, I'm here to tell you about Jesus. But instead, he opened the conversation with this question. Do you understand what you are reading? By asking questions, we engage others in conversation and show them that their input is valued. Also, the way a person answers questions gives us insight into what they are thinking and their level of receptiveness to truth. Let's continue with Acts 8, 32-35. It says, This is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. 
Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, Tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. Please don't miss this. Philip didn't have a program or a curriculum in place to guide the Ethiopian. Rather than using a pre-planned program, Philip relied on the discernment of the Holy Spirit and the words provided by the Ethiopian to reveal the starting point in which to begin sharing truth. In other words, Philip was sensitive to meeting the Ethiopian at the spiritual place he was in, rather than beginning with truth Philip wanted him to hear. Let's take a time out here for a minute. In this training, you are going to learn to meet people where they are and point them to the next step of obedience. But we can't learn everything in one single episode. I'm telling you this because there will be times that I reveal a goal of discipleship, then begin teaching you step by step how to get there. In this case, the goal is to recognize a person's spiritual need and to point them to applicable scripture. But before you can do that, you will need to become personally familiar with God's word and ways to apply it. So rather than being concerned with reaching the goal, free yourself up by focusing and practicing one principle at a time. As each principle becomes a habit in your daily life, a lifestyle of discipleship will develop and each goal will be reached. Okay, so back to the principle at hand. We're learning that one of the greatest ways you can prepare to disciple others is to become increasingly familiar with the truth of God's word. This doesn't mean that you'll always have all the answers, but it does mean that the Bible will be your resource for truth. Psalm 119, 10-16 provides a great example of one who earnestly pursues biblical truth. It says this, I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Praise be to you, O Lord. Teach me your decrees. With my lips, I recount all the laws that come from your mouth. I rejoice in following your statutes as one rejoices in great riches. I meditate on your precepts and consider your ways. I delight in your decrees. I will not neglect your word. Notice how practical and diligent the psalmist is in studying, meditating on, memorizing, and applying God's word. So I'm wondering, in what practical ways are you allowing God's word to permeate your daily life? The truth is, you won't experience long-term success without a plan. So plan today to begin intentionally allowing the Bible to pervade your life. Be careful not to set unrealistic goals, like I'm going to start getting up at 4 a.m. to study the Bible. Set goals that are practical, and then be diligent in pursuing them. Ask God to show you opportunities to spend time reading and studying His Word. Then resist filling those appointed times with other activities. If you don't already regularly meditate on and memorize scripture, choose one of the Bible verses that impresses you from this episode. Write it out on several post-it notes and place the notes in various places to view throughout the day. Meditate on the words and their meaning. Ask the Holy Spirit to enable you to remember the truth you're studying. Consider what would it look like for you to apply each specific truth in your daily life and begin practicing its principles. Remember, God is about a thorough rather than a shallow work in your life. The goal isn't merely to gain a large volume of biblical knowledge. The goal is to allow each truth to penetrate your heart and transform your life to increasingly resemble Jesus. Colossians 3.16 says, 
Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. You see, God wants his word to be such a part of our lives that it dwells deep within us and that it's continually brought to our hearts and minds. Again, this doesn't mean that you'll have all the answers, but our source of wisdom and direction is to be biblical truth. As you continually practice God's principles, your understanding of scripture will increase and God will bless your obedience. God will also provide opportunities to use the truth you're learning to influence others around you. I find it very encouraging that when presenting God's Word, the Bible doesn't tell us to be concerned with personal style or delivery. Our concern should be that the words we speak reflect the absolute truth of Scripture and should be lovingly conveyed through the leading and power of the Holy Spirit. In 1 Corinthians 2, 1-5, Paul is writing to believers in Corinth. He says, When I came to you, brothers, I didn't come with eloquence or superior wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I came to you in weakness and fear and with much trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. Can you relate to Paul? Apart from the truth of Jesus, we have nothing of eternal value to offer anyone. And apart from reliance on God's power, we will not be able to communicate truth effectively. Look at verse 5 again. Paul says that our message should be a demonstration of the Holy Spirit's power so that our listeners' faith will rest on God's power rather than merely human wisdom. I encourage you, as you practice communicating truth, to develop the habit of relying fully on the Holy Spirit's power. 1 Peter 4.11 says this, If anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength God provides him, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Since our goal is to glorify Christ, we should exchange our words for God's perfect wisdom and operate in His power. In doing this, others will recognize Him at work within us. Look with me at Hebrews 4.12. It says, For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. Only the Bible is powerful enough to convict a person's heart. That means that God's word, rather than our own words, should be used in making disciples. With this in mind, I encourage you to practice considering whether or not the information you communicate can be linked to biblical truth. If not, then it may reflect personal opinion or theory. Also, ask God to show you when you begin sentences with words like, if you want my opinion, or I feel like, or if it were me, Then practice exchanging phrases that reflect your personal feelings and opinions for phrases such as these, you know, God has taught me, or the Bible says, or I believe, or or God's word tells us. Using phrases such as these will prompt you to follow through using truth. Throughout each day, ask the Lord to help you recognize the choice to communicate his truth and ask him to bring pertinent scripture to your mind. Exchanging your personal thoughts and opinions for biblical truth It's going to take practice. Rest assured, this practice will have an eternal influence in the lives of others. Let's consider some other ways to be effective in using God's Word. 
In teaching others to obey everything God commands, we should be careful never to add to or subtract from truth. Deuteronomy 4.2 says this, Do not add to what I command you, and do not subtract from it, but keep the commands of the Lord your God I give you. Be careful. God doesn't need us to enhance His Word, and He doesn't want us to omit instructions that may be hard to say or to receive. Think about it. A person will fail to experience spiritual success by basing their decisions on partial truth and partial deceit. We must trust that God included in the Bible what He chose to for a purpose. You know, some scripture may need to be simplified or even clarified for understanding, but never changed. Think about the story, for example, of the crucifixion. This story is difficult to tell, but it is the story of God's love and redemption for us, and therefore it must be told. As we consider using God's truth in conversations, we also want to be mindful that we convey truth in in its correct context. 2 Timothy 2.15 says this, Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed and correctly handles the word of truth. Again, we're reminded that we won't have all the answers, but it's essential that we turn to Scripture and godly counsel to find them. 2 Timothy 4.2 says, Preach, proclaim the word, be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. Whether it's an opportune time or an inopportune time, we should be prepared to communicate truth in any situation. Think about those times when you've received godly counsel at the moment when you most needed it. Proverbs 15.23 says, A person finds joy in giving an apt reply and how good a timely word. Now imagine how valuable your influence can be by providing godly counsel to others at the very moment they need it and in the most fitting manner. In making disciples, we want to use God's word to help people recognize his will so they will live accordingly. In order to use scripture effectively, we must be able to think critically. Romans 12.2 says this, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Paul is saying that there is a pattern to the way the world lives. If we buy into the world's way of thinking, we will naturally conform to its pattern of living. If, however, we want to experience spiritual transformation in our lives, then we will continually renew our minds with God's truth. Are you seeing the need to develop spiritual critical thinking skills? To think critically is to evaluate an issue or a situation in order to make a proper decision or conclusion. When we evaluate life issues and situations using the perfect standard of God's truth, we can discern His will. As you disciple others, it's helpful to promote critical thinking by first helping them to recognize that throughout each day, they are either choosing to look at their lives through a world's lens or through the lens of biblical truth. Think for a moment what a lens is used for. A lens is used to disperse light rays to enhance vision. In Luke 11:34 through 36, Jesus is speaking and he says this, Your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eyes are healthy, your whole body is full of light. But notice the contrast here. When your eyes are unhealthy, your body is full of darkness. See to it then, notice the personal choice here, see to it, he says, that's up to you, that the light within you is not darkness. If your whole body is full of light, no part of it dark, 
then it will be just as full of light as when a lamp shines its light on you. Please help others to recognize that our eyes are not light, but they are instruments for receiving and imparting light. You see, the eye of the body transfers to the mind. The result is illumination to the entire body. That means that your entire body, soul, and mind are influenced by the lens you use. Psalm 119.130 says, The unfolding of your word gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. Psalm 19.8 says, The instructions of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. God's word is the lens that dispels his light in our life. When we look at life through the lens of God's word, it reveals God's perspective in order for us to walk in his light. Which brings us back to the need for developing critical thinking skills using God's perspective. In promoting this way of thinking in others, it's helpful to get in the habit of asking questions rather than drawing conclusions for them. In doing so, you'll be doing several things. One, you'll be helping the other person arrive at the correct answer for themselves rather than giving them the answer. Also, each person will learn to ask themselves questions, promoting spiritual self-discipline. Also, in asking questions that reflect truth, it helps a person better examine their actions and motives objectively from God's perspective. Then lastly, asking purposeful questions helps a person divide out thoughts that mirror a worldview from those that reflect God's will. As you can see, asking questions engages the person you're discipling in the process of drawing a proper conclusion, training them to do so for themselves. This will take practice and patience as you will need to slow the pace of your conversation to allow the other person to think, process, and respond. Also, be mindful that people who aren't used to being asked questions may not initially appreciate it. Let's look at some examples from scripture that show the benefits of asking spiritually focused questions. And then I encourage you to help others that you're training focus on the benefits rather than the process. Doing so will encourage them to persevere. Genesis 3, 9 is a good example. It records for us that God is calling to Adam and Eve and it's after they had sinned in the Garden of Eden. He said to them, where are you? Now we know God is all-knowing, and he was fully aware of where Adam and Eve's physical location. But God used a question to prompt them to consider their spiritual condition. Let's look at another example in Matthew 16, 13-15. It says, When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, are one of the prophets. What about you, Jesus asked? Who do you say I am? By asking these questions, Jesus was prompting his disciples to divide out the truth of Jesus' identity from theories and popular opinion. When we ask biblically-based questions, we too are encouraging others to divide out Jesus' perspective from the world's perspective. In doing so, we're training them to recognize the choice to walk in truth. I encourage you to begin now to practice asking questions when possible rather than instantly providing answers. In addition to asking Christ-centered questions, it can also be beneficial to use analogies or word pictures in teaching others biblical truth. James 3 through through 8 provides a great analogy in helping us comprehend the human tongue. It says this, When we put bits in the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are large and driven by strong winds, they are steered by a small rudder, 
wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of his life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and creatures of the sea are being tamed and have been tamed by man. But no man can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. We can learn a lot about effectively communicating analogies from this example. First, notice that James uses a subject that his audience could easily relate to. Then, he shows the difference between a tongue controlled by the flesh and one controlled by the spirit. He then prompts his listeners to consider their personal choice to allow the Holy Spirit to have control over their tongues. You see, the entire purpose of James' analogy was to enable us to clearly divide out the world's perspective from God's perspective so we can apply truth. Obviously, in order to help people apply truth, they have to first recognize the choice to do so. Remember, it's the living Word of God that convicts promoting life transformation. That's why pointing people to biblical truth must be the purpose for our analogies. Let's look at another example from Scripture. In the Old Testament, King David served God, but he entered into an adulterous relationship with Bathsheba. During that time, he lived in unrepentant sin that included the murder of Bathsheba's husband. The Lord sent a man named Nathan to see David. 2 Samuel 12, 1-7 tells us what happened. It says this, The Lord sent Nathan to David. Notice that Nathan was sent by the Lord. He didn't go on his own. It continues, When Nathan came to him, he said this, There are two men in a certain town, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb he had bought. He raised it, and it grew up with him and his children. It shared his food, drank from his cup, and even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking on his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come to him. David burned with anger against the man, and he said to Nathan, As surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this deserves to die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. Then Nathan said to David, You are the man. Wow. Let's consider all the lessons pertaining to analogies this passage provides. Verse 1 tells us that the Lord sent Nathan to David. I didn't want you to miss that. We should always follow the Lord's lead in communicating truth to others. Nathan went to David as God's mouthpiece. You see, as you become increasingly discerning, God is going to allow you to see issues in other people's lives, but he may not always lead you to speak to them. Also notice that Nathan could have gotten right to the point with David concerning his sin, but God showed him a different approach. When a person chooses to continue to live in unrepentant sin, as David had here, their heart can become hardened and their ears dull to hearing truth. David needed a a wake-up call. He needed an aha moment concerning his sin. So God provided Nathan with an analogy David could well relate to, and David clearly understood the wrongdoing of the person in the analogy. He bought into the analogy, didn't he? So much so that he became angry over the man's wrongdoing. 
It was at this point that Nathan linked the behavior of the man in the analogy to David's behavior. At that moment, David was awakened to his own sin. In verse 13, David acknowledges his sin and repents before God. Powerful. Remember, in making disciples, our goal is to communicate the words God wants each person to hear rather than what we want them to know. Let's talk about one more key point in using analogies. Did you notice that the people in Nathan's story were not given proper names? It's the application of the principle rather than a person that is most important. It doesn't mean that God won't have us share our own personal stories with people. In fact, they can be very effective. It's, it's part of our testimony and, and the work God is doing in our lives. But we should also be mindful to draw attention to Christ rather than to ourselves or others. Think about this. You need the person who is listening to the analogy to buy into its principles. Think about it. When a real estate agent is helping to promote the sale of a house, she instructs the owners to clear out all personal items. Why? So the people looking at the house can picture themselves there and buy into the idea of making the house their own. In a similar way, that's what we should be doing with analogies. We should clear out as much personal information as possible that points to us so the person can picture themselves in the story so they will relate to the truth being presented. As you become increasingly familiar with God's Word, you will find it relatable and pertinent to every issue of life, making it the perfect manual for discipleship. Just as there are effective tools used for other forms of work, Scripture is the most effective tool for discipleship training. Even so, it is up to each of us as individuals to choose to follow God's manual for living. Learning to use God's Word and applying it in our daily lives takes practice. I encourage you to take advantage of the application found in this episode's show notes. It's a practical study guide to help you practice many of the principles you've heard today.